G'day and welcome to another episode of the Luke's Lowdown podcast. This week, I have a global superstar chatting with me. It's Lucy Bartholomew. If you don't know who Lucy is, then where have you been living? Lucy has won ultras and podiumed in some of the world's biggest races all over the world, including at 21 years of age, Western States. That's right. Insane. She's also a world junior sky racing champion and ultra trail running champion too. And most recently ran the 231 kilometer Larapinta trail. It's quite literally in the middle of nowhere in Northern territory in Australia, but everyone, but the reason I'm excited to have Lucy on the Luke's lowdown podcast today is because she's an Aussie. Lucy, <laughs> how are you going? I'm good. I'm good. My favorite bit was the last bit because uh, I can definitely be an Aussie. All the other things, I mean, they're titles and they come and go, but Australian through and through. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the same, although I'm, I've been away for quite a long time. Um, but yeah, I love, I love chatting to Aussies because uh, obviously I don't live there anymore. I'm living in London these days and I left Australia at 21 years of age, which seems like a, a long time ago. So yeah, having, having chats with, with Aussies is always good fun. So I'm glad that you were on the Luke's Lowdown podcast today. Oh, I'm super stoked coming to you from, yeah, summer in, in Melbourne. And uh, finally, the summer sun has arrived. So we missed you here, but uh, I don't think it's been probably the best place to be for the last two years. I don't think anywhere has been. <laughs> so the first question I have, well, the first sort of direction I want to go in is, a lot of people who know you and your story have heard that you ran you know, a hundred kilometer race at 15. And if I get any of these numbers wrong, do, do um, correct me. But at 15, you ran a hundred kilometer race and it was inspired by your, your dad, who we're going to talk about a little bit today because he just sounds like a dead set legend. Um, so your, your dad inspired you to run a hundred kilometer race at 15. What I want to know is like I, I had a, a mentor, like an uncle who I just wanted to be like as I grew up, I'm guessing similar to your dad who inspired you. Is, but what I want to know is what was your motivation, your personal motivation to run 100 kilometers? At, you got to remember at 15, so if, if we all think back to a 15-year-old self as you know, we get excited really easy over things, but you obviously knew 100 kilometers was going to take a hell of a long time. So what was your personal motivation to go out and, and run 100 kilometers? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, even going back, that's 10 years ago now. And when I did that Lara Pinto run that you've spoken about, I had to go back to what my initial motivation was because that why was my, is my strongest why. It was my first why. And it's, it's the thing that's kept me in the sport. Um, and so, yeah, my dad was a massive part. I watched him run his first 100K a few months prior and I, I watched him train. I went along on my bike and I'd ride next to him um, as 14 years old. And then as I got stronger, I would run next to him. And we started to realize, and I started to realize was that these distances he was running and the training he was doing was not the athletics and cross country that we'd done at school where it's just like, full tilt, feeling sick, red in the face, get dizzy at the end and never want to do it again. We were kind of jogging and then pulling out a sandwich and then walking and eating. 
and then kind of being like, I'm kind of bored and over this and we'd flip it and run back home. And that was it. And I started to see that the word running has many different, you can run around a track, you can run on the road, you can run in the mountains, you can run fast, you can run slow, hiking is still running, uh, eating is training. You know, I kind of realized that there was just a lot more going on in this 100K sport that I was never the fastest and I was never the athlete of the family. You know, my middle brother, I'm one of three, got two older brothers. And my middle brother was the, the cricket champion, the basketball, like anything he touched, he won, turned to gold. Um, and I was always just kind of trying to keep up. And so when I started to realize and see this sport and I watched my dad do his first hundred and I, I remember distinctly him leaving the start line and I was you know then 14 years old little blonde Australian girl and I had a little backpack of stuff that dad had said you know if you can get to a checkpoint it'd be awesome to have some socks and uh, I waved him off and then it was just kind of like everyone just left and I was like what do I do for the next 16 18 20 hours and so I just did what I'd learned to do. And I got his backpack and I like strapped it onto myself and I started following the flags. And I took some shortcuts that I'd seen and looked on a map and I would get to these checkpoints before him, following a lot of on the course and running with people. And they were all like, who is this 14 year old? It's like, are you lost? Do we need to like let search and rescue now? And uh, I would get to these checkpoints. I would take the backpack off. I would pull out his socks and his food and all the crap he'd given me and he'd come in and he'd be like oh Lucy like you should have seen this set of stairs we had to go up and I was like yeah I did that as well and I did it with like all your shit that you'd given me you better take something um and so I went around this course and I don't know how far I ran that day but you know I was moving for a lot of that day as my dad ran and I think that what struck me was that I saw the elites of that, that race. I saw, you know, them just looking so strong, so smooth on the trails, you know, just beautiful to watch. I saw the middle of the pack, people like my dad, who were just everyday men and women who were head down, getting it done. But then I saw the back of the pack. And these were the people who really touched my heart because they were every shape and size, man, woman, whatever they wanted to identify as. And they were walking through the mountains with like a handful of chips, a can of Coke. They were balancing a selfie with a stranger they didn't know. And they were calling it sport. And I was like, this is incredible. And I watched my dad finish. And then we stayed at the finish line. And I watched those people who I'd seen with their can of Coke, me looking, going, they're not going to finish. Like they're just way too invested in this selfie that it's taking too long. And they came across the finish line. And I realized like, if, if they can do it, I can do this. And so we finished that race. Oh, he finished that race. We flew back to Melbourne and I got onto my computer and I emailed every 100 kilometer race in Australia and said, I am 14 turning 15. Will you let me run? And they, all of them came back bar one saying, you know, we can, we can see if this can work. We'll have to put some extra hurdles for you to overcome. You'll have to run side by side with your dad we can't insure you, um, you know, you need to get a medical check, you need to show us your training um, and just kind of, yeah, a lot more challenges. And I was just like, without even asking my parents, I was like, awesome. I will be on the, the start line of Surf Coast Century and uh, with my dad, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> that's, that's a fantastic story. Um, 
Yeah, it's oh, there's so many things in there I want to dive into, but I know we don't have like five hours to chat. It's one of those things where I feel there's in your family unit, curiosity was probably something that was embedded in in your in your family. And it just sounded like, you know, like the whole you see a, a ball of thread and you're like, you keep pulling on it. It's like, well, what if I keep pulling on it? Well, what if I keep pulling on it? Do you have any memories like when you were like really young, like, okay, 14 is quite young, but when you were like really, really young where that curiosity started? I would say that, you know, I've always, curiosity is the perfect word. I was actually just filling in another quest, uh, Q&A and they said, you know, what's been your, your motivator? And I was like curiosity from the beginning. It was kind of like curiosity to... I tried, you know, I was curious if I really put my head down at study, what I could do. And then I kind of got bored of that because I was like, this isn't really fulfilling me, but it was cool to try. Um, you know, when I was 11 years old, I had an eating disorder and it was curiosity to kind of like go into that space. Um, you know, I surfed a bit and I was curious about that. I did modeling. I was curious about that. You know, I just, I guess the consistent in my life is that I will always try something out of the curiosity that it will stick, but with not the expectation that it will. Um, running was something that when I did it, I just was like, this is natural. This feels right. And, you know, when it was announced that I was running this race as a 15 year old with my dad, there was a lot of criticism. Um, a lot of people saying that, She's, you know, she's obviously got like an exercise addiction. She's going to stunt in growth. You know, she's never going to get a period. Um, she's obviously unhealthy. Her parents are bad parents for letting her do this. And, you know, my dad at any point could have said, you know what, Lucy, just wait till you're 18. Save everyone this hassle because he was copying it as well. But instead he was curious and he was like, I wonder what she can do. And, you know, he, we had to run together. And so I was... I couldn't like fully find my potential because I was with him. But, you know, to put in perspective that year in 2012, I ran um, 12 and a half hours with my dad. And then I was able to chase my curiosity on my own. And I went back to the same race and ran nine and a half hours. And it was kind of like, people started to realize when you chase your inner curiosity, you know, you can chase curiosity and what the world has to offer and travel and have conversations and, learn about things but when you're learning about yourself no one can tell you what you can and can't do because you don't know they don't know you know and it's just the unknown is so uncomfortable for so many people but for me I felt most comfortable when I'm uncomfortable um and that's just as a 15 year old a very hard thing to explain to, to anybody <laughs> yeah it sounds like and also I and we're going to get onto this in a second as well is although you're still quite young in, in years on this earth, it, it sounds like the way that you think, and I'm guessing some of this is part of your family unit growing up, but also some of it's just you, right? It's you think like someone with a lot more experience and some of the stuff that I've read that you've written on your, on your website, on your blog and on social media posts and stuff like that is it's, it's quite wise for your years, which, and, and that's not to be disrespectful to you, though, that's a compliment. And one of the things that I speak about regularly with my athletes, and I do a lot of keynote speaking around the world, is about curiosity. And it starts with just asking the question the question, this is the important part what if I can? 
It's just a question. You're not doing anything. You're not taking any action, but just ask the question, what if I can? And then I won't, I'll, I'll bo I won't bore you with the whole process, but can you go from the question of what if I can to the statement of what if I can? They're two different mm -hmm. things, right? Asking a question, there's still doubt. There's still, it's not certain. It's passive. But if you can then implement a plan from asking yourself the question, what if I can, to then saying the statement, what if I can, which is you moving forward, which is you having an intent, which is you actually going out and doing something, then a lot of people will ask the question, but they get stuck because, as you said, there's so many different things from pushing them to actually go and make that statement, what if I can, to actually take action. So it sounds like this is something that's always been embedded in you. And I want to sort of like, I don't want to pull on that because I could talk with you about this for, for hours. A slight segue, but still moving in the same direction is what's, it's, it sounds like your dad's been a, a central figure in, in your life so far. What's been his general advice just in life to you in you know, the past 25 years? Oh, I think my dad, the thing that I love and respect most about him is that he's always been this even keel, super consistent, you know, his message has never changed. How I've responded to it has changed. You know, I was kind of the, I need you when I'm 15 and then at 18, I didn't need him. And so I was a bit more rebellious about it. And then I kind of came back to him and, you know, in this pandemic, we've been in this house together for two years. And I think it's, really kind of um, brought us back together of kind of him understanding what I endure for 365 days um, because you know I'm a very open person and I speak about my tr my troubles and challenges on Instagram because I I love to kind of if people can learn from it awesome if people can give me a different perspective I'm interested I'm curious to know um, but my dad has always been just kind of you know be yourself and be, be who you are. And if that's too much for some, that's fine. And if it's not enough for others, that's fine. Um, but you know, that from a parent can be like super hard to understand because, you know, his love is unconditional. And you know, if I come last in a race, it's, he's like, congratulations, you still did awesome. But he knows what running is to me and what you know, he knows what my contracts say. He knows how I make my living. He knows how important it is that I have, yeah, confidence and success and self-esteem. And he knows that that comes from racing, but also from, you know, showing up as my best self. And so, you know, he's just always been uh, just kind of back yourself. You know, I backed you when you were 15 and I can't be around to always be your biggest cheerleader, but you've just got to know that like, when you back yourself and when that can I turns into I can, it's like a whole different situation and it's a whole different language. You know, I don't think Eliud Kipchoge is like, can I do the sub two marathon? He's like, I like, can't wait to do the sub two marathon. You know, when that happens, it's going to be beautiful. And he envisions that. And I think that, you know, my dad's just been like, sometimes you just got to tell yourself that you back yourself to really believe that you back yourself. Um, and that's always been his consistent message. Whether I choose to take it on sometimes is is up for debate. <laughs> well, he's still your parent, right? Totally. <laughs> we don't always listen to our parents, although their their advice might be solid, but we don't always listen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, first of all, 
whenever I get back to Australia and if I'm in Melbourne, I definitely want to go for a run with you and your dad because I'd just love to pick his brain. This sounds like an awesome bloke. Um, and yeah, it'd be great to run with you as well, I must admit. <laughs> so from 2013 to 2018, from a running perspective, like, pun included, you were flying. Right? You quite literally took the trail running, ultra running world, globally by by storm and and some of the things that i mentioned in the intro uh, you were you were doing and you were feeling great what headspace were you in throughout those five years in terms of like what what was your self-belief and your self-confidence during those sort of like five years yeah i think you know when i was in those times i was always kind of like um in Australia I like in Australian running I was doing well but I was also well aware of that the the world circuit was completely different and so you know I was testing the waters of can I compete against other females in the sport and a lot of the females at the top of their game are 20 years older than me at that point and so I was definitely kind of this I'm not, um, I don't have enough experience for this. I'm not old enough to be doing this. Like, what am I doing? And the thing was, was that, you know, during those five years, I left high school and had to make a decision. I took one gap year and that's socially acceptable for sure in Australia. Um, but then it was kind of like, you know, I remember my dad sitting me down and being like, so are you going to go to university? And I was just like, I don't think so. I think I'm going to keep going back and running and trying new races. And that takes a level of confidence. So I think inside of me, I was like, you know, you can do this, Lucy. You know, you've done a few races. I won the junior section, but I was always like the juniors, like I'm not interested in being junior. I want to race the best and I want to race the, the full potential. And so I kind of feel like even in Australia, when I was racing, because I was so young doing these races, they were creating age groups for me. You know, it was like Lucy won the under 18s. Well, Lucy was the only under 18, but, you know, I took the accolade and was like, my resume is incredibly impressive because I had all these wins and age group wins, um, not knowing the fact that I was the only one doing it. Um, and so I think I was kind of like, I had self-belief and I was curious to, to try um but I kind of was also once I stepped onto the international circuit started to realize that if you're going to race in the European Alps that's not Australian mountains and I had to adjust my training and it became less of a hobby and more of like if you want to do this it's a full-time gig and you've got to commit and so like I committed at a really steady rate like I would just kind of increase nice and slowly and then I would say that when I got into Western States in 2018, I really committed to a point of unsustainable unhealthiness, um, which kind of took me to a, I had confidence because I knew I was fit. I knew I was lean. I knew I was ready. And I proved that with a third place. But because it was unsustainable, the moment that my body was like, hold up, we've got to reassess, my confidence went from, sky high to to rock bottom and uh that I wasn't prepared for and no one talked about so I just kind of navigated that um alone yeah that's that's tough um I 
in a very, very different way, but I can completely understand where you're coming from. I did a big 2000 kilometer triathlon in 12 days from Morocco to Monaco several years ago. Um, well, can we yeah. talk about that for five hours? <laughs> I'll, send, I'll send you a link to the documentary. You can watch that. That's the easier way to do it. And it, it was, you're seeing the documentary just like I started that completely spent physically, mentally, emotionally. I was battling with my mental health where I wasn't really speaking about it. And like internally, I just, I just felt for you when you were just saying that about going into Western States, you had self-confidence, you had self-belief, you knew you were overcooked, but at the same time, you're super fit. Like I was in a similar way. Like I was training 25 to 30 hours a week, you know, going and doing three 200 kilometer bike rides in three days was like fine you know i'd get up the next day and feel awesome but i knew i was in a very bad place from a health perspective and also just from a, from a physical and mental health perspective so i completely under understand that lead up to western states but then after i completed the ultimate triathlon and people who read my book will know this the story like 18 months i did nothing because my body just broke down and uh, just recently I, I did an interview for a big triathlon magazine over here where I talked about my unhealthy relationship with endurance sports and a lot of people and, and I can see it online because I've lived it and I can be like I wonder when this person's going to actually talk about what's going on and yeah you're not in your head and, and I'm sure that you can do the same thing because you've been through it and like it's not my place to call them out like that's not my I'm not type, that type of person but it's like it'll happen whether it's from race results whether it's from a social media post or whether all of a sudden they just disappear and mm. there is this thing of it's a fine line of it's not even overtraining but it's like over committing to a single race a single goal a single target so with that being said it sounds like you're you were intelligent enough to know that okay like i'm doing western states arguably the most prestigious race in the world in ultra running and i'm overcooked what what was it that why weren't you able to actually pull yourself out of that nosedive yeah okay well i probably wasn't when you say i was smart enough to stand on the start line knowing that I wasn't knowing that. So I had an amazing preparation. I raced a lot. I outraced myself, um, had lots of success before the race. Again, just building those confidence bricks, stood on the start line of Western States. And, you know, I'd given, been given three pieces of, of advice from a guy who's won it 20 times. And he was like, don't be to the top. Don't be the first to the top of the first climb at um 50 miles or 80 k's have something really solid to eat because you enter the canyons it's going to get really hot and your appetite's going to go and the third piece of advice was the race starts at 100 k's so i went out and i just completely disregarded what this guy was telling me and i got to the top of the first climb in first place i got to the 50 mile mark and i totally just ran past my dad who had my food waiting for me but i was like I am leading Western States. Like I was in first position and I was like, I'm not stopping for a sandwich. I'm bloody getting into this Canyon and getting out. But I descended into that Canyon and, you know, I started to get really dizzy, low on energy. Everything he'd said I would happened. And I got to the hundred K mark where the race started and um, I was completely dead. I'd won the hundred K race of Western States. And then I was past 
beautifully by Courtney DeWater and then later on Caitlin Gerben, who were two incredibly talented female athletes. So I got to the finish line of Western States and I held on in 2018 and I held on for third place, which fastest Australian that's ever finished. Um, you know, obviously as a 22 year old, it's just kind of incredible. And I was, I, I'd always said, Lucy, you are going to commit yourself to June 24, 2018. When that day is over, when you cross that finish line, you will stop and you will rest and you will re get back to homeostasis. What happened instead is that that feeling of fitness, and I feel like you'll resonate with this, is addictive and you don't want to let that go. And so I flew to Mexico where I was meant to surf and eat fruit on the beach with my dad. And within four days I was running and I was, you know, I was like, no, I'm just going for an easy half hour. And that just grew and grew. I left Mexico and I flew to a race where I wasn't running, but um, I ended up doing a recce of the course over four days, four days of eight hours running. And I continued my season and I kept having success. I came back home in early November of that year. So Western States finish was in June 24. And then I got home in November and I just had this, it wasn't an injury. I think your body is going to come out with something when it's unhappy and unstable. And it might come out in like a stress fracture. You know, that's what you say. You're like, you're looking at an athlete and you're like, what's going to go first? You know, like, where is the, how's this going to manifest? But for me, it came out in my brain. It was more of like this, I don't want to run. This is just horrible. And because in 2018, I started training for Western States on January 1. I got the email mid-December and I was like, January run, let's go. And so I wanted to repeat that. So I got back in November. I suffered a month and a half of being like, oh, we'll kind of call this an off season. It's cool. Like I did a 100K local race, but you know, that doesn't count anymore. I'm a hundred miler. And uh, just January 1 came and I went for a run and I feel like this was just the world telling me like you are in for a year. And I was running down a hill and I put my foot on a rock and I rolled my ankle and just heard like the snapping and tearing of God knows what down there. And I was so committed to like this was day one of training that I just ran on. And I got back to the car and I remember I couldn't press on the brake. So I wasn't driving anywhere. <laughs> I wasn't going to be doing anything. And I sat there and I just cried. And I just thought this is, if this is the start, it feels like the end. And so, you know, I limped my way through training and I tried to return to the races that I'd done previously. Everything was going downhill. My weight was going up. My energy levels was going down. My care factor was non-existent. I didn't want to talk to people. I was like, I am a self-made athlete. I do this on my own. Um, you know, that was when my dad, you know, he's like, all right, Lucy, just be really true to you. And I was like, screw that. Like, <laughs> you know, and I just didn't want that kind of uh, help anymore. And so I stood on the start line of 2019 Western States. And the biggest challenge for me was that when I came third at Western States in 2018, overnight, I picked up 50,000 Instagram followers, right? Social media is a huge part of sport now, and it's a necessity. Those 50,000 people, they started following me at an unsustainable, unhealthy body shape um, and yeah, health uh, set point. What happened was that then they started to see me change and they started my weight to change, my body to change, kind of like definitely my attitude to change. 
um, because I was no longer like super happy and super fit and just winning everything. And instead I was like real sour, real bitter and just broken. They started, you know, there was questions and there were things written about me and it was like, well, she follows a vegan diet. This is just the malnourishment in her coming out and look how bad it is for you. And this is what ultra running does to you. Look at her. She's, you know, and I was just this, I felt like I was putting out fires everywhere. And I stood on the start line of 2019 Western States. And if I'd been smart, I wouldn't have started. But like you say, Western States is this world renowned race. It's iconic. It's an honor to be on the start line. And I was curious to know, maybe if I start, maybe I am actually in a good shape and I just don't know it. And I just don't believe it. So I gave myself that opportunity. And, you know, I look back and I'm so embarrassed by that, the way I ran it and the kind of like, oh, it's just another hundred miles, like no problem. You know, I did well at it last year. I'm just going to repeat that performance. Um, my brother flew over and he paced me and I'd envisioned the kind of pacing I had last year where we were running and strong and having chats. And instead it was my brother and I silent, me getting irritated with him for scuffing the rocks and, you know, not helping me out enough. And um, yeah, it was just super challenging. And then, so I flew from that Western States and I was meant to race again in Europe, again, following the same uh, path that I did in 2018. And it was there that I flew into Chamonix, which is a little mountain town in the, in the um, French Alps. And I just remember flying in. And for seven years, I've flown into this place. I've always come to this race. And I've always flown in and just like stuck my head out the window, just been in awe, can't wait to run. And I landed and I was like, I just don't want to be here. And I don't want to do this. And it was a huge moment for me because it was just so unusual. And so I decided at that race, it was the first time that I called it and said, I don't want to be on that start line because I can't endure a hundred Ks on this course in the mountains. I don't want to be there. I don't want to do it. But the hardest thing for me was that I still had people coming up to me and they were kind of like, why aren't you running? Are you injured? And I, I just wanted to wrap my ankle in a bandage and be like, yeah, yeah, it's my ankle. No worries. Cause they would have been like, Oh sweet. I'm so sorry. All the best. But instead, you know, I was trying to explain that like, no, 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 like mentally, I'm just not there physically. Yeah. I'm a little uncomfortable in my body right now, but like everything functions. Um, but kind of like that brain sprain mentality was just unheard of at that point. And so I decided to, yeah, to kind of like be a real advocate for that and speak to it and say that I'm not running because I'm injured. I'm running it because I just, I'm not running because I don't want to do it. <laughs> like, and that's a valid reason. Um, and so, yeah, I would say the intelligent Lucy kind of stepped out in August of 2019, but she stepped out into a very deep, deep hole. It's, it's tough when you have a big profile and you're on display for everyone. Like, like, yeah, like I've got documentaries out, I've got books out, I've done interviews and, and I get, you know, some negative comments and stuff, but not on the level that you would get them. So I've experienced those and I'm also, you know, a little bit older than you. And, you know, I've been through some stuff and come through the other side and learn a few things that uh, you've probably learned and you will learn in, into your future because you are curious and you do stop and reflect. But I can only imagine at your age where, you know, and also for a, a physical thing, I want to go back to, yeah, I've seen the photos of your, of you finishing Western States in 2018. And as we sort of touched on earlier, like I knew that you weren't in a healthy place. 
because your age and, and what you were doing and the training leading up to it. But that's just, you know, from, from my years of experience and, and also just what happened after, because I obviously I've seen the story afterwards. So I want to touch on this point because I, I read it in, in one of your blog posts where you mentioned there was some negative comments online and you read them and basically put your head in the sand and it was your dad that your dad that brought it up to he knew that you would have seen them and he knew that you were putting your head in the sand but he wanted to have this conversation and this is this is one of the reasons why like I think your dad just dead set legend and you can tell him I said that as well it's not only from a a parent perspective because that's got to be tough right I'm not a parent myself but that's got to be tough seeing these things written about your 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 child online because this is the way of the world these days knowing that that they've seen it and knowing that this is going to hurt and not just sort of like, oh, you've been kicked in the shins by the schoolyard bully and it'll go away after an hour or so. It's going to sit there and it can manifest into something even greater than what it is. So when you have that sit down or whatever the situation is with, with your dad, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not concerned about what your dad said was, but what is the internal conversation after that conversation with your dad look like and sound like in your own head when he sort of brings to the attention that these negative comments like what does that look like for the next couple of weeks inside your head yeah it's been you know it's been interesting because like when I got negative comments as that 15 year old they were directed at me and my dad and so that's why we would we would read them together and we would both be like oh wow that's you know and I think he kind of was like oh man I'm not a bad parent am I am I a bad father and he would question himself So I think, you know, from the outset, it was like, we are in this together. And, you know, like what they say about you is, you know, I will, I also harness that. And so, you know, it's just always been, you know, my dad, he has social media, but he does not use it. He just uses it to follow pretty much me. And he'll read all the comments because, you know, 99% of them are beautiful and he's so proud and he loves it. And it just, you know, makes him smile because so many people, comment about him and say you know oh your dad must be such an amazing man he's so wise and you know that fills his ego so he's stoked um but then he does come across the negative ones and you know the way we used to go about it is that we'd run together because if you've ever gone for a run with someone you find that you talk about the deepest things that if you if I sat across the table from him and had to look him in the eye and talk about these things I wouldn't be able to do it. But on the trail, you know, I can look at my feet, I can jump over a root, put my foot on a rock, and we're both distracted, but listening, and kind of willing to go a little bit more vulnerable in nature, I feel like it's just therapy on steroids out there. And, um, you know, we don't run together as much anymore. But because we kind of built that relationship out there, we've been able to bring that inside. And we can just have an honest conversation of just hey like I read this mess this comment and like I know you've seen it because I read every comment I get and you know because 99% of them are so beautiful and if they're going to take the time to write to me I will take the time to write back but he knows that I've seen the other ones and I've obviously not written back or I have and I've been probably a little bit too reactive um but we'll kind of have a conversation and it's really really helpful I think anyone that wants to be an athlete or put themselves out there online needs someone like it doesn't have to be your dad a friend a therapist a third party someone who can 
from another perspective be like Lucy do you believe this statement is true do you believe that you're a self-absorbed um person that's lost her talent along the way no I don't believe that well then like why does it matter that this person from eastern Europe who's never met you has absolutely no idea what kind of day-to-day you live in it why would why would their opinion matter and do you think it says more about them than it says about you you know and we have these kind of conversations and what I usually do after we've had it is I'll go away and my outlet is writing and I will always write down you know if I've got concerns or fears about a race I'll write down what what they are and what I can do to to take them off my mind and it's the same thing is that like if I see mean comments I won't write down the comment but I will write down how I would if I was to speak to this person to this person face to face how I would bring it up because I wouldn't be afraid to say my response face to face whereas they would never say what they said if they remembered that I was a human being a 25 year old female who's you know bumbling my way through life and I think that yeah my dad's been instrumental in kind of allowing me to understand that but at the same time comments stay in my head for weeks days weeks months you know and some of them still like are still very fresh to me because I care you know they mean so much to me because I care so much and you can't be liked by everyone but I try my darnest to um you know to to be the 99 percent um and so I think that it's just so challenging because the human side is lost on social media. As far as a lot of people are concerned, I'm a username and, you know, I, they don't realize that I spend, you know, five and a half hours is what my phone tells me I spend on Instagram, replying to comments, writing back to messages, putting up content, trying to create a really inspiring, happy, but also really authentic space. And like those kind of things make me want to bury my head in the sand and not even bother. But at the end of the day, the 99% that, that love it and that appreciate it are kind of like the ones that I really want to speak to. And me and my dad are both like, we've got to stay in it for them and for us because, you know, he loves it and I love it. It's just the side that you never really get to learn about how to handle. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that my, my wife, she's read some of the negative comments about like my book, not, not so much my book, but the documentaries. And you know, when you watch it, you'll see why there is negative comments and I, and I, and I get it. And like it, it frustrates her. But for me is I came up with this process and it sounds very similar to your dad is do they know me personally? You know, is there any truth? In what they're saying because the thing is negative comments sometimes if you're being completely honest with yourself maybe there is some truth in it you know what i mean if someone wrote to you like at the end of western states it's like i'm really concerned about you because i think you're overtraining you're overliving all this so there is some truth in that as as negative as it is but so it's do they know me personally is there any truth in it and why would they say that to me? Like, as, as your dad said, is it, it's more about them. And that's just a nice little process that I go through when there is some sort of negative, negative comments online, because I'm being honest with myself and I'm accepting that it's out there, but then it's a case of, can I use it to help me? If not, well, then I just move on. So it sounds like it's a very similar process that you and your dad do running side by side. And, and I love that. And uh, I want to dive into something else that I read online as well as you wrote a you wrote a blog post. I think it was in 2019, 
and you were saying like you felt lost and you, you're trying to find yourself and and this is this period of time where you know after western states you went out to chamonix i've been out there a bunch of times as well i've crewed for some of the uh, elites at utmb and um and um some of the other races ccc and stuff like that i've never ran any of them but i've crewed for all the races so i know the courses and, and know what it's like and as you said it's a it's a magical place it's an absolutely magical place and going out there for utmb week i think there is not a place where there is everyone looking so fit everyone walking around chamonix you just like like they they look like they could win utmb and they're like no i'm just here to sort of hang out you know what i mean it's it's crazy so to get off the plane and drive into chamonix valley and be around that area and to feel like i just can't do it anymore i could only imagine the headspace you're in and that that post that i read where you feel lost and you're trying to find yourself yeah, and I do want to add some context here. You're, I think, it was 25 at the time or 24 when you when you wrote this, like, and I read it and I was like, sort of like chuckling to myself. I'm like, every 24, 25 year old at some stage during that period of time is like, I'm lost. I don't know what I'm doing with myself. So, because I I, I do want to be mindful of your time and jump onto the Larapinta Trail story as well. But to segue into that is how did you find not your way because you're still very young and we're all trying to find our way, but how did you find some solid ground to stand on after you left um, France and came back to Australia at sort of 2019 and, and you wrote that blog and you were lost and you know, I don't want to say that you found yourself, but how did you find some solid ground to set you up to, to move forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I left Chamonix um, feeling, you know, how you feel after every race, you know, should I have been out there? I could have been a part of that. You know, it was, it's obviously incredibly inspiring to be around. Um, and I actually flew, I booked my ticket back to Australia. Initially, I was meant to keep racing and traveling around, but I said to Solomon, my sponsor, you know, I just got to go home. And I ended up, instead of going home flying, I flew home via Bali. And I decided that I was just going to go surfing and I was like not going to run at all for two weeks. And so I, you know, surfing's always been for me just like, it's incredibly present sport. There's nothing else that you can really think about when you're out in the water. And so I surfed for two weeks and I completely stopped. And I was like, on that Limbongan Island, no one knew me and I could, they didn't expect me to run. They didn't ask how my run was, if I was going for a run. Cause I was so sick of hearing about that. I, even in Chamonix, it was like, oh, you're not injured. Do you want to go for like a long run? Do you want to like, should we go jog to this? And I was just like, I don't want to run. You know, I want to take a chairlift up and just look at the view. You know, I, I was with my mom and thank God, because she's not a runner. And she was like, I don't really get this whole running thing. Like I'm really here for the cheese and the wine. And I was like, great. We're on the same thing for at the moment. This is very unusual, but I'm with you. Let's do it. And uh, so I got back to Australia and I would say that I was more lost after that because suddenly I was like, wow, I think I like, I didn't even miss running in that point. Um, you know, and I was kind of expecting after two weeks to kind of get that itch back and then just to build in slowly. But again, I just was like, this is my identity. This is what I got to do. This is what I have to do. This is, this is who I am. And so I signed up for the Tatawira at the start of 2020. And so I trained my way through, stood on the start line 
and felt the exact same way that I felt in Western States 2019. I hadn't learned my lesson. And so I tried to fake my way through racing an incredibly talented, especially women's field, which I was honored to be a part of in, in reflection, but at the same time was again, embarrassed that I couldn't be a part of it because I kind of just dropped off straight away. And I finished that race again, very disappointed, was like, nah, this is it. I can't keep faking this. I can't keep suffering for a hundred Ks. It's not like you're suffering for 30 minutes. You're suffering for like 12 and a half hours. And I don't use the word suffering lightly. Um, you know, I feel like it's a very, those, that was what I was doing was that I was just body, mind, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I was suffering because I was so lost and I was at the same time trying to exert energy into trying to move fast at a pace that I couldn't do. So I left there and I was meant to, I flew to Nepal. I mean, what a place to find yourself. Nepal, of course. <laughs> and yeah, I've spent six weeks out there. So I, I totally appreciate where you're coming from. Yeah. So I went there and I had chasing curiosity I'd been offered a spot at this retreat I'm going to call it retreat for a western word for it but I'm not exactly sure what it is out there but I got into this car at the airport and I was like great we're gonna go running in the Himalayas this is gonna be amazing and I got there and they you know I was in all my Solomon kit my running shoes small backpack of dirty clothes and they took it all off me and they gave me a robe and I was like oh this is gonna be like really challenging for me to run in um how's this gonna work and they said oh you're not running this is a five-day silent retreat and then it's a meditation retreat and you're you're not to exercise you're to sit and to and I hadn't I hadn't prepared for this I hadn't known that this was what I was stepping into um I'd obviously, you know, I'd signed up for something that put me into this wait list. And this was an incredibly rare spot to get. And, you know, I got there and he said, he gave me this robe and he said, Lucy, you know, when you come here and you wear your Solomon kit, it's clear that you're an athlete and you're a runner. You wear what you want to represent, right? But I can tell that the reason why you're here is because you're not sure if that matches what's on the inside. And by putting this robe on, you're a blank canvas and you can spend this time. You're not going to speak to anyone and you're going to create assumptions about other people. Other people are going to create assumptions about you. And you're going to understand that that voice inside your head can tell you any story and it will connect dots in the most abstract of ways. And after five days of not speaking, we were able to communicate with the other, I think it was six people on the course. And, you know, I was like, I had already made assumptions that some people were like lawyers because he was like real stern and uptight. Like he just looked at this lady was clearly like had lots of kids and was just getting away and didn't want to speak to anyone about it. Um, and then, you know, you speak to them and you're like, oh, you're actually like a vet and you're actually, you know, like a plumber. And you're like, oh, like I, and they kind of thought I was, you know, a young teen mom or something you know we're all just like creating these random stories and narratives which is what people do on social media they see what we want to put out they create a story they connect dots in the most abstract ways and then they think they know you and so I left this retreat after 10 days having spent a lot of time journaling and meditating and a lot of time at the start was going oh my god I'm not running this is just awful like oh I'm here for the Himalayas 
And, you know, he said to me when he left, he put his hand on my shoulder and he was like, you know, the mountains don't go anywhere, but like you need to, the demons can. And he kind of said to me, you know, you need to understand that your running is not who you are. It's not your identity. And you can choose, you can wake up and you can choose what you want to represent with how you dress yourself, how you act, what you say, who you speak to, how you treat others. And so I went running in the Himalayas for uh, 10 days after it. And then COVID hit and I had to change my flight and come back home. But I came back, yes, to a pandemic, but to a sense of peace of just being like, I don't have any races because everything's been cancelled. And I've just picked up this massive toolbox of tools that I want to now put into myself and like give myself the chance to really absorb that experience and move forward and implemented into being able to start training again and it was the best thing that's ever happened to me I don't know how I ended up there but it was um probably the greatest six seven days of my life wow I I actually didn't know that about the uh retreat the silent retreat for yeah I I could talk to you for hours just about that like I went out have to you Nepal. done Vipassana no no I I went out to Nepal on like an, an adventure like to do the Everest Ultra where you run down from base camp um, down to Lukla. But I randomly, it's a whole nother story, actually spent a month living high up in the rural mountains with some elite Nepalese ultra runners. No running water, no electricity, like properly, you know, one took us 12 hours to hike to his house on a ridge from the nearest road. It was, it was insane, but amazing. So I've spent some time like in the middle of nowhere in Nepal. And it's just a completely different experience. But I could I could talk to you about that experience for for hours, and definitely we'll we'll continue that conversation another time. But what a gift to stumble across across to be given to see the opportunity to seize that moment, so to speak. And what perfect timing to then you go into lockdown to go into a pandemic with with this as you said like i'm going to use your words toolbox toolbox of tools to help you navigate the your own journey in life and i want to ask you can you can you give us just a couple of those tools that you have been using over the past what is now 18 months maybe since you've been back what are some of the things that have really stood out that you've really been able to implement into your daily life yeah, I think the biggest one is understanding about what you want to represent. Um, you know, I think that I wake up and I put on my running clothes and it's like a uniform, you know, this is this is my job, this is who I am. And I think what's really important as an athlete or for anyone is that it's like you don't get out of bed and stay in your pajamas all day, right? Because then there's no shift in mindset and energy and what you want to represent. You know, if you change out of your running clothes and you put on, I'm going to say normal clothes, but I don't really like that, but like casual clothes, you put on a dress, you put on some jeans and a t-shirt, you know, you're, you can, a complete energy shift. You're no longer like, I have been for a run, ask me about my run. I want to tell you that I've been for a run, that athleisure whole thing where people want to look like they've been active. It's really important that you portray the fact that like, yeah, I'm like really relaxed right now and I'm not on and I'm not in my uniform and it feels good to kind of embrace other sides of me, whether that be more feminine or masculine, you know, it's just kind of 
people will resonate with that. I feel like when people see me in running gear, they kind of are like, oh, she must be going for a run. I better not disrupt her or have a conversation with her. When they see me in jeans and flip-flops and a t-shirt, they're like, oh, she's nice, chilled out. Maybe I can like, let's have a conversation on the street. And I think that that like really shifted me into kind of being like, don't sit in the same energy in the same clothes all day. And then, you know, obviously you, you learn a lot about breath work, which is something that I hadn't previously, I'd heard about it, but I was also like, I breathe fine. You know, <laughs> like I'm breathing enough to get me through a hundred miles. I'm getting through my life. It's doing good. Completely the, different. <laughs> completely different. And so incredibly challenging and beautiful and calming and energizing at the same time. Like if I could tell anyone, I, I would say that breath work has changed my, um, my aura and my energy uh, more than like meditation. I found the meditation at the retreat, uh, that the, the course quite challenging, but I found the breath work having something to focus on. You know, I'm obviously someone that just loves like monotony and running and kind of like things moving and breath work is movement. Whereas meditation, I found the stillness quite challenging. And then the last one that kind of really stood out to me is the words we use. So once we broke silence and we started speaking, the teachers um, around were kind of listening to how we spoke, how we spoke about ourselves, how we connected with other people. And, you know, one of the things that I posted about recently that a lot of people were um, kind of interested in is like, and it was very similar to what you were saying, you have some a sentence like I have to run I need to run I want to run and I get to run and those are completely different statements having to do something is like I have no option wanting to do something is I have a desire to getting to do something is a privilege and uh needing to do it is like it's a necessity to me and like running non-negotiable exactly and I think that when you have when you speak that, when you say like, this isn't my to-do list, this is my get-to-do list. These are the things I get to do. That's a completely different mindset about how you go about those quote unquote chores that you've written down. And it's the same with training. You know, I was thinking that I had to run, that I needed to run, that I have to run to be the person that everyone expects me to be. But in reality, I get to run and I want to run. And if I want to run, then I will run. And it's just like, the words we use are so incredibly powerful, but I think we just flippantly throw them around and we type them on our screen and we send them off and the thought and connection between them has kind of been lost. And that's something that I think if we start to shift that vocabulary a bit, we can shift the mindset towards what we're doing. I 100% couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, psychology stole this concept from you know ancient ancient traditions because you know obviously you know the east has has talked about things like this for a very long time it's a reframe right Mm. psychology is called a reframe of of what you're what you're saying and also thinking and it's very important and i agree that in today's society we are so lazy with the language that we use like just think about how many times someone will say that's unbelievable and it's like, well, okay, let's let's stop for a second and look at it. Okay, is it unbelievable that Lucy finished 
Western states in third place. Like, is that really unbelievable? Let's let's break it down. And people go, oh, well, you're just being picky now. It's like, well, no, hang on. If you're going to be lazy using that sort of language for that sort of um, result, how else are you doing that in your daily life? And is that then turning your mindset down a negative frame of mind or a closed minded way? So it's a case of, I really feel so many times and don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. I'll throw out the, the odd unbelievable, but I'll most of the time I'll catch myself and go, no, it's not unbelievable. It's actually fantastic. You know, mm. it is, it is amazing. It's not unbelievable. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's, it's great. They're very different ways to describe, say your third place finish, right? but not unbelievable because I can only imagine we've talked about it briefly, the amount of training you've done. You've been running for six years. You know, you had paces, you had crew, you had this self-belief, you had this youthful exuberance of curiosity. So having all of that doesn't make it unbelievable. It makes it an amazing performance. So Mm. I, I totally agree that society these days is very lazy and yeah. Okay. We've talked a bit, a little bit about social media and don't get me wrong. Like, I have this relationship with social media. The it was created, the way it was created is the most amazing thing, and used in the way that how it was created. But obviously, humans we like to manipulate things and and use it in different ways. So, but yeah, like some people, you read their posts and you're just like, okay, all you wanted to do was put up a, a glossy photo to make you look amazing, you know, edited and all the rest of it, and you read the caption, just like. I've just wasted 30 seconds of my life. You know, it's a great photo. It's a great editing job. Whereas a lot of people flip it around and go, okay, I've got to play the game because if I don't have a a half decent photo, people will just like disregard it. And this is one of the things that I don't necessarily like or enjoy about social media. But as I said, like it's, it's all part of the game is if you can get someone's attention with an image or or whatever, and, and in a unique way, but then you hold their attention with the caption, like, a lot of your posts are very thoughtful and I can tell you spend a lot of time on writing them and I'm in a similar way. I like to sort of spend some time thinking about what I'm going to put because I want to be able to make an impact with someone who actually stopped and spent a minute, 30 seconds of their day to read something that I wrote. And I know because I can read it and see it in your, in your feed, you do the same thing. So it's really, really interesting to see that the three things that you just mentioned about your, your course, your retreat that you went away, one of them was, a, was reframing and I, and I have seen that post that you put up. And I think that is a, a really, really great way to sort of finish on because I am mindful of your time, unless you've got five minutes to talk about your Lara Pinta trail adventure. Yeah, I got time. No worries. <laughs> All right, cool. So I've, I've watched the documentary twice and I watched it again <laughs> last night with my wife because... I was like, oh, yeah, because we were supposed to, to talk last week, but, you know, and this is a whole, I don't want to segue into this, but, you know, you threw yourself onto the road for a road marathon and people can go and read, read your very eloquent posts about um, road marathon running and trail running. Um, you can, they can go and see that post on, on your Instagram feed. Um, and we ended up talking today. So, yeah, I've seen Running Out twice. Saw it last night with my wife. She hadn't seen it before. She loved it. She says hi. She's a fan already. And <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, I don't want to do any spoilers because I want everyone to go and watch uh, Running Out on Vimeo. I'll put the links in the show notes and all the rest of it. And the documentary talks about why the Lara Pinta Trail. And it's very well put together, I must admit. But 
what I want to know is it's this 231 kilometer trail, like literally in Alice Springs, middle of Australia, quite literally. And it wasn't easy. It, it was, it was brutal. And without giving any spoilers away is there were times where well, actually there were most of the time you were running by yourself. You ran through two nights and it's not two nights in the middle of London running, you know, running in London, you don't even need a head torch. I've ran through the middle of London at two o'clock in the morning in winter. You don't need a head torch. I've ran out in the middle of nowhere. And depending on what the moon's like, you know, you can need a head torch or not. You're running in the middle of nowhere and on a trail. And I'm using sort of air quotes here where you're like, okay, I don't really know where I'm going. There's these little markers sporadically spread out to, to follow or or not follow when you're in the when when it's in i'm trying to paint a picture here right when you're like you're and not and people who aren't australian won't quite grasp this to to what we will and other aussies who are listening like you're running in the middle of the northern territory in the middle of the night um <laughs> it just blows my mind what were some of the conversations you were having with yourself when you were running in the middle of Australia, in the middle of the Northern Territory by yourself on this random trail, like what, like what was going on in your head? Oh, you know, I, I will say to anyone that the running of 230 Ks or in my case, 250 Ks because of my navigational challenges was not the hardest thing. The hardest thing was that for, you know, 54 and a half hours, I was alone. You know, I had... Um, one of my crew joined me for a eight hour stint um, purely because I was losing my mind and I needed someone to be with me to direct me where to go and to make sure I looked after myself and let, but, let's just let's just say he, he and, and I say this in jest but when you watch the film you'll understand ne you know neglected to to really 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 want to be there and he sort of was like yeah I'm here but I don't really want to be here <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Within a few minutes after leaving with my pacer, he pretty quickly was like, oh, this is, this is slow and this is tough and it is late and it is dark. And I was just like, this was my second night. And I remember thinking, yeah, man, I've just been like hustling through this to get to you quicker. And he, um, yeah, I think he was just like, oh my gosh, like he's a road runner to begin with. So I think it was just well outside of his comfort zone. Um, but for me, yeah, the most challenging thing was the, the, the emotional and the amount of energy that goes into that conversation. You know, it's, it's quiet out in the, in the Northern Territory, in the middle of the desert, you are in the middle of nowhere, but at the same time, you know, I carry around and I believe everyone carries around and an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. And I think that, you know, for 54 hours, I listened to this, like, devil saying no you can't do this you're not good enough you've got to stop what are you doing out here this is a stupid idea stop get yourself out and an angel being like you got this come on like one step at a time eat drink walk move like you're doing great and I think that you know we have that in everything we do in life you know you go to a job interview you've got those two conversations but when you're out there in the middle of the desert middle of the night it's super quiet and you're listening to both of those things and there's moments of like, oh my God, this is taking forever. I still have 200 kilometers to go. This is, this is just so slow. Look at my pace. Oh my gosh. 
And then you have moments of, wow, this is like incredibly beautiful. And so to put in perspective, you know, we started at 1 p.m. And I climbed to the top of Mount Sonder, which is the highest point of the track with my uh, videographer and photographer, Josh and Brian, who were with me. And then they I are then- hilarious, by the way. <laughs> Very Aussie. <laughs> the, whole, the whole production, like there were several times I turned around and looked at my wife and she's Australian as well. Um, and, you know, we, we grew up in, in the bush. You know, I grew up in Bathurst um, on the other <laughs> side of the Blue Mountains. So I'm a country bumpkin. And my wife randomly, who we met in London, actually grew up 20 minutes away in Orange in the next town over. <laughs> Completely random. So, you know, we are, we are definitely both Aussie. And we several times looked across at one another, just several things and, the, and things that happened in the film. And uh, yeah, this, this conversation right now, like this, what I'm about to say is just for Australians. We looked at each other and just laughed, like, but a, but a um, positive laugh at this is so Australian. Like the whole production, the whole film, everything about your adventure was, and I know this sounds dumb because it's in Australia and everyone's in it is Australian, but it was just so Aussie and it was just so awesome to see you watch. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, to say that it was a, yeah, it was a very Aussie production. If people want to see what it's like to um, be on the inside of, uh, you know, Aussies having fun and, and getting in together and, and working towards an end goal. Uh, yeah. Like the, the film running out is definitely very Aussie. <laughs> it is. And it's, it's, you know, when we released it, we weren't sure whether the humor because Australian humor it's quite a lot like American, very sarcastic, um, but like not very European. Um, and so we weren't sure how people were going to laugh at the same things that we found hilarious. Um, so, you know, it's, it's challenging when you put out a piece of you. I mean, you, you obviously know with your documentaries, you're kind of sharing what you think's funny. You're showing yourself completely broken down. You're sharing your joys, your highs, and you want people to, to feel all those things, um, which is no easy feat. Uh, but I went into the first night and I remember I tripped and fell at 30 Ks and I fell and I cut my knees up, cut my palms up. And I remember looking at my blood down my legs and blood down my hands and looking out at this trail and the West McDonald ranges, which just went on forever and ever 231 kilometers or 230 at this point. And I remember thinking, I'm so far outside, like I'm so far out. If I actually break my leg, I have no one's near me. I'm going to have to set my PLB off. I'm going to cause this massive um, hoo-ha and it was gonna, it's going to be annoying and it's going to be really embarrassing because I really didn't want to do that. The thing is, is that we were doing the trail. The Larapinta Trail usually takes two weeks to hike. That's kind of the standard hiking time we came in between lockdowns we managed to hustle to the nt from melbourne we all got in the car drove to adelaide drove up and that's a four-day drive in itself and we got there and they when i met the community and i said oh i'm gonna run the larapinta trail they said lucy no one's done the larapinta trail in a long time because of covid um, you know, we haven't had tourism and people haven't gone hiking. It's also March, which is like the end of our really like arid season out here. And just before, as we were driving in, they had this one in 100 year storm and they had a hundred mils of water fill all the riverbeds. So what were usually dry as a bone riverbeds were neck deep now. And so we started this run seeing the NT in this incredible light where all the grasses and all the flora had 
gone really big and grown because of the water. And it was obviously, it's through 36 degrees Celsius during the day. So it was hot. And when I fell, I remember looking out and thinking, what have I done? And then I just remember being like, okay, you know, and I remember being told that there was one hill that had one bar of reception. And I got to the top of the hill and I was just thinking, I can't do this. 200 kilometers more. Are you kidding me? Like, I can't even make it through 30 Ks without busting my knees and my hands. And the only person I wanted to call was my dad. And so I called my dad and bless him. He's sitting on the couch watching my tracker with my dog and he picks up and he goes, oh, it's a bit early to hear from you. And I'm like three hours in and I'm calling my dad being like, help me, please. And, um, you know, all he needed to say, and he always knows what to say. First, he just said, back yourself, Lucy. But the second thing, and this is something that I think I feared the nights the most. I was so afraid of navigating at night, being alone at night, the animals at night, the unknown at night. I just, I don't train at night. I'm a pro athlete that runs at midday because I can. And um, he said to me, he said, Lucy, in Western States in 2018, when you were in second place, the sun set, you turned your headlight on and you said it was the most beautiful thing because suddenly there wasn't rows of people watching you and all that mattered, you couldn't see the trail ahead. You were just focusing on the spotlight that your headlight was lighting up and you just focused on putting your foot into that patch of light and then your foot again into the next patch of light and your life simplified down to this small beacon of light and that's all that mattered. And he said, you know, it's going to be the same. You're going to go into this night and you're going to give yourself the shot to just put your foot in that light, just focus on that. And what I found was that actually navigating at night, my headlight reflected the trail markers that were now being hidden by long grasses that had grown, but I could see the trail for 200 meters ahead of me. And so I could run confidently. Whereas in the day I was looking for blue arrows on red rock with green uh, grasses over it. And it was, it was like finding where's Wally out there. And um, I got through the first night and I felt pretty good. And then I got to, but it was about the 100K mark. And then I had my dehydration, which is in the movie is kind of the, the crux to where things start to, to go pear-shaped and leads me into, you know, dehydration is something that I believe you don't come back from unless you stop and get, you know, like an IV drip or you like seriously hydrate yourself consistently for a long period of time. But I was so committed and I really wanted to do this. And I, after 10 years in the sport, have always pushed my body. I've pushed it in many different ways, taken on lots of different challenges that I knew that I wasn't doing myself harm. I wasn't going towards rhabdo. I wasn't, my kidneys weren't shutting down. You know, my fingers weren't too fat. You know, yes, I have black lips in the film. And if I'd, it's funny because when I've watched the film back, I've said, if I was there and I was crew, I would have stopped me right there and then I would pull me out and I would said, no, nah, this is not healthy. Because Josh, of the dehydration? Just because of the way I looked. What I think is, is that when I met Josh and Brian on that ridge after, I mean, spoiler alert, eight hours of no water, seven and a half hours of no water, I looked at them because I could see my arms and my legs and they were fine, right? Like they had scratches, but they were cool. I looked, I remember looking at Brian in the eyes and I was like, if he like visibly looks shocked or concerned, I would read that and know that like, I must look really bad. Like my pupils must be dilated. I must just be like, 
not in a good place, but he was the best actor I've ever seen. You know, he was like, wow, Lucy, you're doing great. We're just going to get you some coconut water. Just going to wash your face a little bit. You'll be good. Change a t-shirt, new woman. Let's go. And so I was like, oh, okay. I also look that bad. Sweet. This isn't all downhill. But when I've watched the movie back, I've been like, Brian, (laughs) you should have stopped me. Like this looked super unhealthy. And even my dad, you know, he's watched it. And he said, if I'd been there and if I'd known that that's what I was talking to on the phone, I would have said, get her out of there now because it's so dangerous to take yourself to that level. But it really shows how when the mind and the spirit and the body connect and have a goal and have a purpose and you do have that kind of, you know, I was lucky that I met Josh and Brian when I did and they did have water for me and I was able to have the knowledge within myself of like, okay, let's assess this. Like I'm with it enough to make this decision on my own. Um, but then with that came later on, just like hallucinations, which is something that I've never had to deal with and made the rest of the next hundred Ks very, very slow and very, very challenging, but probably the most rewarding steps I've taken. I think that's a really important thing to to just sort of highlight is yes, you're extremely dehydrated and, you know, and I, and I mean this in the nicest way, you looked rubbish on the mm. film. Oh, I think so. <laughs> but, it's, but as you said, like people go, oh, oh, that's, you know, you're really irresponsible and yeah, definitely would have pulled them out. But the thing is, is, you know, you weren't going through other things that happen from dehydration. And, you know, if your hands swelled up, like they were being pumped up with air, like, yeah, like you probably would have stopped. Or if you started to pee blood and things like this, these are indicators that's like, okay, this is a good time to actually pull up stumps, so to speak, and, and Aussie slang there, um, and stop. Um, everybody, many people won't understand that, but that's all right. So basically stop. So I think it's really important to sort of say, look, yeah, like when you're severely dehydrated like that, these are the things to look out for. And although you looked rubbish and although, as your dad said, if I was there, I would have pulled you out. I've crewed for people and people have crewed for me where, you know, I've said you should have stopped. But if your vital signs, and I use that term very loosely, um, are still okay, when you're doing big challenges like this, and as you just alluded to, you're, you're not trying to race anyone else. You're not mm. trying to win a race. You're not, so your performance is going to plummet, right? But with your performance plummeting, it doesn't mean that you still can't just keep trucking along, you know, and it's about finishing. It's not about finishing in a time. I'm sure you had a time in your head, but when you got to that point, you're like, I don't care how long it takes me. I just want to finish. So we have to differentiate between, yes, you're an elite athlete, you're a professional and and you're out here doing this, this crazy, insane challenge, but it's not about performance. It's just about, and, and let's go full, full circle back to the first race where you crewed for your dad. You know, you were in this moment, the back of the packer who was just like, you know what? I've just got to have a drink in one hand and I've got to have some food in the other. And I just need to figure out a way of how to keep putting one foot in front of the other and I will get to the end. So I think it's really important just sort of say, well, if you're going to perform at a high level and and your high level, whether you're professional or just you're running your race, then yeah, you need to take care of everything. But when you're doing these big challenges, some level of dehydration, some level of 
pain or, or, or discomfort is, is going to happen. And, and that's okay. And yes, that means that it's going to take a hell of a lot longer, but at the same time is it still keeps you in the game. Yeah, I think that's, and that's perfectly said, you know, before the film went out the day before I put a post out saying like, I'm not glamorizing dehydration and I'm not suggesting that the way that I ran the Lara Pinta is the way that you should run the Lara Pinta. Um, and I think that that's really important. Just like the way that I ran hundred Ks at 15 is not the way that you should do it. My story is not your story. And, you know, I know that the, um, the search and rescue of the Lara Pinta, they were concerned about the time of year that we were doing it, the state of the trail, um, how little I was carrying. You know, most people are trekking along with 20 kilo packs and my pack was a kilo with water in it. You know, it was light. Um, and when you, when you run at that light on that thinner line, yes, you're going to run into discomfort because you're not going to have your, uh, comforts with you you know you're not going to have all the jackets that you need or all the water that you can and we were I was looking for and I the reason why I did the Lara Pinta was because I wanted to go back to why I started running and like you say back to when I was 15 I was or 14 when I was running with my dad and we would go out and explore and eat and just go as far as we wanted when I started the Lara Pinta yes I wanted to finish it but it wasn't the destination of finishing it I just wanted to believe in myself and to give myself that chance to go through struggle and come out the other side and realize that my body still loves me and it's still strong and it still can do this if I give it the chance. And I just felt like I'd, when you step into races, you're so, um, there's just so much going on. It's so confusing and loud and messy and people have got times and splits and you're comparing yourself to someone else. Whereas on the Lara Pinta, I was not going for the fastest known time. I was just going to complete it, to do it, to have an experience. And yeah, like I say, to challenge that inner self-doubt that I'd had in abundance sitting with me for two years and been carrying around. And I think that, yeah, in that post that I released before the film went out, I just said like for 10 years, I've ridden a fine line and I've taken myself to pretty uncomfortable positions, situations. And I've come out the other side, filling that toolbox every time with something new that says like, yeah, like you say, I know the symptoms of hands. I know the symptoms of peeing blood. I know like your pupils dilating, um, sensory going, you know, like, I am a very in tune person with my body and what I learned in Nepal even more highlighted that on the Lara Pinto. It was like, all right, Lucy, like, can you give me 10 deep breaths now? Are you, can you focus on just that? Because if you can, then you're present enough to probably be able to go left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And, um, you know, I think Josh and Brian being somewhat blissfully unaware of the consequences and not being endurance athletes of that kind of length and that height um, was a beautiful thing because then they watched on with this innocence of, I trust her. I'm not going to tell her how to run. Just like, I'm not going to tell her how to shoot a camera. You know, we have our own jobs. We'll do it to the best of our abilities. We're all going to look out for each other. And, you know, we got to that finish line and we'd only met in January and we did this project in March and I felt like I'd known these boys for 25 years of my life. So it was an incredible thing to, 
to share and then put together and then share with the world because when Josh was doing Instagram stories along the way for the Lara Pinta, we had, you know, 1.5 million people around the world were watching and checking in and asking how she's doing. Oh, she's slowing down. Is she all right? And it was just this beautiful realization, one of how amazing social media can be and what it like is actually developed for is that connection. But it was also just like, when I finished and instead of scrolling through negative comments, I scrolled through just a multitude of thousands of people who were just kind of like, wow, you know, like, how did you do that? How can I do that? How can I do something that's like my Everest, you know? And I, all I have to say is it, it's like one step, it's one breath, it's one, one choice at a time, you know, build your team back yourself and just like move forward just like you say you know turn that question into a statement and that's what I did out there it was kind of like I don't know if I can do this into I think I can do this and then it's I can do this and then it's I'm doing this and then it's I've done it <laughs> you know <laughs> oh, exactly I think that's a beautiful place to end it uh, Lucy I want to say a massive massive thank you and I want to say I want to say thanks for you sharing your journey and being so open and so vulnerable and just really giving people an insight into not, not necessarily the life of a professional trail ultra runner, but just sharing people and giving people the insight into what it's like to, to be you and the struggles that you're going through, but then also how you're trying to move forward. So from, from me, very personal, thank you. I want to say a massive thanks for, for sharing your journey with all of us. Yeah, thanks, Luke. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we can make this happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So where can people watch the film and find you and come and write you a message so you can reply and say hi? Yeah, so the best place is Instagram for me. Um, so I'm just Lucy underscore Bartholomew. The link to the movie is in my bio, but otherwise, if you just type into Google running out movie Vimeo or Lucy, I'm sure it will come up. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, everything like Facebook is just a copy of Instagram. So I wouldn't do both if I were you. Um, and you can message me through my website, but Instagram does just fine. I go through all the messages as you've heard and, uh, yeah, I appreciate any questions, any comments, any feedback, uh, criti nice criticism. I'll take <laughs> constructive criticism. <laughs> and, uh, I just thought of just a really, really quick question to finish on regardless of fitness or crew or anyone say everything was all, was all perfect. If you could run one race tomorrow or one trail tomorrow anywhere in the world and i've not asked anyone this question it just came to me run one race or one trail anywhere in the world what race or trail would it be it would be the hard rock 100 in colorado in america uh, that would be the race but if i had to do a trail i know this is i'm making it two questions to suit me um would be that i have always wanted to run in antarctica yeah okay do, do that by yourself um i don't do well in the cold with with my radar. neither do i i'm yeah. like an aussie surfer yeah 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 i've i've no doubt same as you i've had so many friends do hard rock um and uh yeah it looks awesome so well keep keep throwing your number in there for the lottery and who knows you know maybe someday you'll be kissing that rock sure hope so thanks very much lucy have an awesome day
You too.